So it's, uh, it was fun to have both my daughters leading worship this morning. That was good. They look a lot alike, so uh, that was fun. I'll uh, get, me, get me some points later on today, maybe. We'll see. Uh, I also, uh, Easton, thanks a lot. I also like that um, uh, the verse drop line, so you'll be hearing that uh, a lot more. <laughs> like that, throw it out there, you know. Got to be careful of that verse dropping. Watch out for that. Um, also, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been um, praying for this guy named Spider who had uh, heart surgery again. Anyway, he's sitting back there in the back this morning. Good to have you, brother. So, uh, so next, time, next time you tell me you're going to miss church, I'm going to be like, oh, did you have open heart surgery? No, I'm not going to do that. That's okay. But anyway. Good to have you, man. Uh, so I, I want to start out with just um, a, a few a few questions this this morning. Um, does does God love the banker more than the beggar? Uh, does God pay attention uh, more to the hoarder or to the homeless? Uh, I don't know if you noticed the, the Olympics started, um, right? It's the 2020 Olympics in 2021. So I'm not sure how they're going to work that out in three or four years. But anyway, that's started. So uh, here's the last question. Is God more pleased with the athlete than he is with the ailing? Those who can't compete at that level. Luke chapter 2 starts out we looked at Luke chapter 2 last week and Luke chapter 2 starts out with uh, 120 followers of of Jesus in Jerusalem so it's not very many it's just a small group uh, of those 120 are the 12 uh, apostles right and so this is not a very big group of of people and they've been waiting in Jerusalem for this holy spirit that Jesus said was coming and they they were kind of aware of, of the Holy Spirit because he's mentioned in the Old Testament. In fact, Genesis um, 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters of the deep. And so from the very beginning, they had heard the idea of, of Holy Spirit, of this Spirit's presence at work in the lives of uh, the, the prophets and of the nation of of Israel, but when Jesus talked about him, they really didn't understand who he was or, or what he was coming to do. They were just, they were like waiting for this thing that they weren't really sure what he did um, or, or what, what was going to happen when he comes. And so they're basically, um, they're basically hiding. They're hiding from the religious leaders, uh, from the Romans. They're kind of in this room. They're, they're, they're kind of scared. And they're hiding, but remember we said they're, they're not worrying and, and they're not waiting. They were warming up. So they were praying. Um, they were praying, I don't know, probably for, for boldness. They were praying like, you know, Holy Spirit comes, God help us to be able to do whatever he's going to allow us to do. Like they just didn't know. And so they're, they're praying and they're waiting and they're kind of hiding uh, out for what is coming next. And so that's how the chapter begins. But chapter two ends with the birth of the church. And so we start out the chapter with 120 followers, and by the end of the chapter, there's over 3,100 followers who are actively doing life together. 
Their belief in the resurrected Jesus drastically affected their behavior. And so we see that by the end of the chapter. Um, Luke is telling us that they were together, they were meeting every day, they were sharing with each other, and if, if somebody had more and somebody had less, they gave to them, and so they, they met each other's needs, they enjoyed being together, they were just together, like they, it's, it's a family, right? It was just this exciting time, all of these things were, were going on. They devoted themselves to loving and looking more like Jesus by loving each other, by sharing what they had. And, and they invited others into their homes. They experienced real life together in relationship. And, and Luke tells us that out of this relational, love-filled community that was happening, Holy Spirit began to do many signs and wonders through the apostles. It's important to note that when we're looking at the Bible and the New Testament in particular, these early historical documents, Mark and Matthew and Luke and John and then Acts, they, they were not written in the midst of the events themselves, right? And so um, Luke uh, isn't like taking a catalog of everything that's going on at, at every day. They were written about 30 to 40 years after the events themselves happened. So, little uh, timeline, little history lesson. Jesus rose from the grave around 30 AD. So, 30 to 33 AD, somewhere uh, around there. The earliest gospel, Mark, was written in early, the early 60s, 62, 63, uh, 64 AD, somewhere around there. So, about 30 years Later, And then Matthew and Luke wrote their biographies of, of Jesus after that. And then Luke follows up his gospel account of Jesus' life with this second volume. And, and he really saw it as an extension of, of Jesus. In fact, if you, you read Luke that way, you, you re, or uh, Acts that way, you really see that the focus is on Jesus. But it's like this second stage of, of Jesus' life and work through the lives of the followers through this person called Holy Spirit. And so um, uh, Matthew and Luke and, and Acts and John, they're written late 60s, but before A.D. 70. And A.D. 70 is an important um, date to remember because that's the year that Rome finally had enough with the Jewish people. And they basically sacked the city and destroyed the temple. And those things had been prophesied by Jesus. And so um, all of those books were, were written 30 to 40 years after the events happened. And then all within about 8 to 10 years, the rest of them um, were written. And so Luke is looking back on the beginning of the church when he writes his summary statement in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Okay? So Luke is looking back and he's like, this is what it was like to be a part of the church in, uh, right when it was formed or shortly after it was formed. And then we come to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is where we're going to spend our time together. And we find Luke giving an example of the wonders and the signs that were being done by the apostles that he mentioned in chapter 2, right? So there's 120 followers, then all of a sudden there's 3,100 plus followers. And then uh, Luke says all of these really cool things were going on within the church. And then in chapter 3, he's going to give an example. So let's just jump there. 
Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Um, let, let me just stop there. Alms is, um, th- there was the giving of alms that was kind of a, a command from God. And so uh, you were told, if you were a Jewish person, you were told to take care of those in need, and that was called almsgiving. So you gave to the temple, and, uh, and then you, you gave to these different things, about 33%, something like that. And so you were supposed to give 3% of your annual income to, uh, to those in need, so this almsgiving. And so um, he was there at the gate asking for alms. He was asking people to give to him from this kind of budget line item that people were supposed to have back then. And so we do that while they were entering uh, the temple. And, and um, like they're going to church, right? So you would think that maybe a good place to ask for money that God told you to give was in a place where people going to worship God. <laughs> Doesn't always work that way, right? You know, you, you listen to servers and, and, and waiters and waitresses and stuff, and they say, oh, Sundays are a terrible day to work because those Christians don't tip very well. So tip good, tip good when you go out to to eat. Okay, anyway. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, this lame man asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So I just want to hit a few uh, interesting points right off the bat here. The ninth hour that he mentions is three o'clock in the afternoon. So the way the Jewish people told um, time, it started at 6 a.m. and it ended at 6 p.m. in the 12th hour, okay? So that's how we get third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the 12th hour. That's how they did that. But my question is, why was this man coming out to beg at the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon when there were only three hours left in the day? That seems kind of odd to me. In fact, I, I would think if you were begging and that's how your livelihood was made, you would want to be out early. Um, not only is it the, the cool of the day, um, but also in the, in the morning, I don't know, you know, I, I would think people would be more generous. At the end of the day, they're tired, they're worn out, they don't want to deal with anybody. And so that doesn't really make sense to me. Um, and, and, if, and if Jerusalem is anything like Kansas, and, and it is because it's a desert region and that's kind of how it has felt the last couple days here, right? Um, the hours of three to six in the, in the afternoon and the evening, they're, they're the hardest part of the day. And so why is this guy coming out to the temple to beg at the hottest part of the day when there's only three hours left? That doesn't make sense to me. I also wonder if this man was laid here every day, like Luke says that he was, 
How many times had he seen Jesus entering the temple? And why, why did Jesus not heal him? Why did he not ask Jesus to heal him or, or give him some help or some money? There's no record of that uh, happening. And, and, and maybe he did at some point see Jesus come in and he asked Jesus for um, some money or from some help. And, and, and maybe Jesus just kind of smiled at him like, like a kid who um, thinks they know something that you don't know. You know, that kind of sly um, smile that they, that they get sometimes. And, and maybe Jesus just kind of smiled at him. In Jesus' mind, he's like, no, like your day's coming. In, in a few months, the, my buddies Peter and John are going to come walking by and, and like it's going to be a new day for you, but not now. Not now. Peter and John are, are going to the temple also for evening prayer. But Jesus' death and resurrection made temple worship obsolete. I like that the, the point of, of coming to the, the temple, at least for the Jewish people, they believed was to offer sacrifices, right? That's where they were commanded to offer the animals, a, a lamb or a bull or a, a, a bird, to, to pay the price for their sin. And so Jesus comes, he pays the price for sin for everybody for all time. And, and so coming to the temple to offer sacrifices is no longer a, a thing. Like it's, like it's an obsolete uh, form of worship at, at that time for those people. So the only explanation, at least in, in, in my opinion, in my mind, is that, is that Peter and John knew this is where the Jews would be. This is where they would be coming, where they would be gathering, and, and they would be thinking about or, or at least have their mind kind of set on God. And so Peter and John were going to go to this place where they knew people would be attending evening prayers um, whenever they were in Jerusalem. And, and so this was just part of their normal everyday thing, and they knew there would be people there that maybe they could talk to. Now, none of those observations make really any difference to the story, right? They're just, they're just extra stuff. Just things that make me go, hmm, if you're, if you're an 80s and 90s person, you remember that? Like, there's things that I kind of like wonder about, I like just different things, and I, and I like to kind of think about those odd things that we see in Scripture. Like, why is that happening? Why did that happen that way? Where was that person going with this? Why was it? Because it's those things that I think give us clues to what's happening in the bigger picture. See, all of these activities, this lame man being brought to the temple, even though it was an odd time for him to, um, to come in to the temple, and, and, and Peter and, and John walking to the temple in the afternoon and, and going there, um, like, those were all just normal, everyday grind activities. And I kind of think that's the point. I kind of think that's why Luke mentions this story in, in Acts chapter 3 instead of probably a lot of other stories that he could have told. Like, why did he tell this specific story? And the only reason I can figure is that there was nothing special about what was going on in this story. It was just normal, everyday stuff. And, and I don't know about you, but it's real easy for me to get caught up in just normal, everyday stuff stuff, right? We, we, you get up and maybe you go to work and you, and you come home and you eat and you watch a show and you go to bed or whatever. Like, like we just, just do the same thing kind of every day and we get into that 
uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you call it a routine, maybe you call it a rut, <laughs> but we get into that. We're just kind of doing the same thing every, every day. And so there's nothing uh, special about it. It was certainly uh, a far cry from what we read in Acts chapter 2, right? When they're together and they don't know what's going to happen and the Holy Spirit comes and it's this wind from heaven, right, that comes down on the house and it whips through the city and like everybody knows what's going on and they, and they come to the house. This was not that moment. This was just a, uh, it's time to go to the temple. <laughs> it's, it's time to take me out to the temple um, to beg. It was just a normal everyday activity. But I think that leads us directly to the point. And the point is that Holy Spirit elevates everything that we do. Holy Spirit elevates everything that we do, even the mundane and the habit things that we get into in our lives. See, I think a lot of Christians feel like their faith story doesn't matter much or they feel like I don't know we're just kind of going through the motions of of life and it's Sunday and so I go to church and it's Monday and I and I go to work or I go to school or or whatever like school's going to start in a few weeks so we'll be back to that uh that grind everyday kind of things I just go and I just do this stuff that I'm supposed to do and I and I come home and then I get up and I I do it all, all over again. And I think sometimes as Christians, we begin to ask, like, like what am I here for? <laughs> what is all this about if I just am, I'm just doing the same thing every day? Like, what does God want me to do with my life? Because I feel like I'm just stuck in this thing. And I just go to this job, or I'm here, then I'm just, I'm just doing the things that are like just normal Stuff and it gets kind of boring and kind of old, and, and we get tired of it. The reality is, though, that, that in the beginning of the church, that they were all just going about their everyday lives. And the only real change from Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes and it's like this huge event, to Acts chapter 3, when Peter, James just walking, uh, Peter and John are just walking back to the temple and, and there's this guy who's begging at the temple and he's been there every day. The only difference is that the Holy Spirit is now involved in those everyday mundane activities and, and in the lives of these new followers. Like, like all of a sudden, there's this, there's this new character in the story. And, and you just never know what that character is, is going to do. And the, and the dots that are going to be connected and the things that are going to happen. And, and all of a sudden, with this new character, with this Holy Spirit at work in our lives, the, the walk to the temple or coming to beg, like even those like mundane, normal, everyday things all of a sudden become kind of pregnant with this um, opportunity like that, that something could happen in, in this moment. And it, it doesn't seem like it, and I, and I, don't, I don't recognize it necessarily, but, but it's possible. And, it, and it's there. And I think for a lot of us, we f kind of forget about that. That we focus more on just the routine than, than the idea that in every moment of our lives, there's possibility for God to do something incredible. 
See, the Holy Spirit was at work in the walk to the temple. And the Holy Spirit was working that day for whatever reason. Maybe it was normal. Maybe it was different. I I don't know. But Holy Spirit was involved in bringing that man to the gate that day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And even though those activities were things that the apostles and this lame man had probably been doing for 30 years, was something about this day that everything changed. Now, we've talked before about how in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, there's this space where heaven and humanity meet, right? The Bible calls it the Garden of Eden, and it's this place where God exists and, and humanity and, and animals and the spiritual, uh, uh, they're, they're all kind of mashed up in this physical place. And, and so uh, it, I, I love it in, in Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the day. And it's this perfect, um, like peaceful, relational moment where humanity and heaven are, are, are interacting with each other and they're united and everything is, is good. But, but then Adam and Eve decide they want to be in charge, right? They want to set the agenda. They want to decide what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. They want to determine that for themselves. And so they break the only rule that God made for them, just one, and they couldn't even keep that. And they broke that rule and they get kicked out of this perfect place called the garden. And so there needs to be another, needs to be uh, something else to bring heaven and humanity back into unity. And so God institutes this covenantal relationship between himself and the people of Israel. He chooses them, not because of anything that they had done, but just out of his goodness and his grace. He chooses Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then their family and then they have this nation. And God says, I'm going to be your God and, and, and you're going to be my people. And he lays these expectations out in what's called the Torah. So it's the law. It's the covenantal relationship, uh, rules of engagement from God to the people. This is how we're going to interact with each other. And this is how um, this covenantal relationship is going to be established. And God tells Moses that, that he needs to build this tabernacle and then later this temple. And inside the tabernacle and then Solomon's temple is the Ark of the Covenant. And it's a box with a lid on it that has a couple of angels on the top, cherubim on the top, and their wings are touching. And, and God told Moses that, that his presence would, would be there at the top of the Ark between the angels. God's presence, physical presence, would rest there uh, on the Ark of the Covenant. And so as long as the Israelites were in this covenantal relationship with God, his presence would be with the people. Now, when you went into the tabernacle or you went into later the the temple, it resembled the Garden of Eden. 
If you look at the directions in, in uh, Leviticus, I think it's Exodus Leviticus, it gives Moses the requirements for building the tabernacle. And, and what do you see there? There's um, angels all over to be woven or, or uh, carved into the structures. Uh, angels, um, pomegranates, pineapples, the tropical things. It, it's supposed to look like a garden. And so when the people walk into the tabernacle or in the temple, they're supposed to get the feeling that they're back in the garden where God's presence with humanity existed in, in unity. But that didn't last very long, right? Because the Israelites couldn't keep from worshiping other gods and following other, breaking the rules and breaking the laws. And so that fell apart and, and pretty soon the temple's destroyed and the tabernacle, all of these things. Just like Adam and Eve... The Israelites, as a people, chose to go their own way. And so they abandoned God in, in order to worship these idols made out of wood and metal and, and clay. So God says, okay, what am I going to do? He sends Jesus. And when Jesus came, he brought heaven and humanity back into coexistence. And so wherever Jesus went in his life, he lived by the rules and the laws of the kingdom of God, by those principles. And because of that, he made the kingdom of God present in that place that he was, right? He, he didn't function by the uh, natural laws and rules of, of the world. He functioned by a different set of laws. That, that's why he was able to touch a leper and instead of the leprosy and the uncleanness of that person being transferred to Jesus, the cleanliness and, and, the, and the wholeness of Jesus was transferred to that leper and he became clean. It was a completely different mindset from everything else. And so whenever God, Jesus lived by the kingdom principles, he made the kingdom present in that place where he was. And so everywhere Jesus went, it became like a little peace of the garden. Heaven and humanity exist together. And then Jesus dies. And he, and he comes back from the dead. And then he ascends to be with the Father until it's time for him to come back. That's going to happen one day. And we're waiting for that to happen. And when that happens, he will bring heaven and humanity and all of creation back into unity again, just like it was in the beginning. But until then, Holy Spirit occupies the space where heaven and humanity interact freely. And so Holy Spirit enables us to make present the kingdom of God on the planet. So Holy Spirit working in our lives helps us to make present the kingdom of God on the, the planet. And we do that by living according to the principles and guidelines of the kingdom in our daily lives. So what does that look like? Well, we just had a series, uh, I Say, where Jesus was laying out the principles of this new kingdom. Where he said, um, love one another, even your enemies. So when we love those who hate us, we're making present the kingdom of God in that moment, we're bringing a bit of heaven into our humanity. 
When we give generously, we're bringing heaven and humanity into into unity. When we love others, not because of what they can give us, but simply because they're created in the image of God, we're bringing heaven and humanity into into unity. You see how that works? When we live by kingdom principles, we make the kingdom of God present in our daily lives. Whether we're at work or at school or at church or at the grocery store, it doesn't matter. For instance, even in 33 AD, if you had a problem to solve, you looked to money first. Um, If I just had more, or if I just had enough money, well, I wouldn't have to worry. And so if you're a beggar or a panhandler, like volume is key for you, right? This is the idea. This is what you want to do. If, If you're on the street corner in Wichita and you've got your cardboard sign, you want to hit as many cars as possible. You want to be the biggest intersection you can find because volume is key when you get there. The more people that you can come across, the more money you can potentially get. And so begging isn't about making connections with individuals. It's about making coin, right? That's the idea. And so for this lame person who was sit at the temple gate, it was about seeing as many people as possible. I want to be at the gate where the most people come through because that gets me a bigger chance of having a better payday. And so right after the lame man asks Peter and John for money, what does he do? He moves on to the next person. Will you give me some alms? And then immediately he's on to the next. Who's coming next? Who can I ask next? And so this guy had no idea who Peter and, and John were. I don't think he probably didn't probably know them from Adam. They just were two people walking in the temple like the hundreds of other people that afternoon walking into the temple. And he was just trying to get as much as he could. And, and I would guess that Peter and John, knowing their profession before, they were probably not dressed like the well-to-do people who might be... Um, coming in. And so perhaps this beggar didn't think he was going to get much or anything from Peter and John anyway. But Luke makes a point to tell us that Peter and John demanded the man's attention. Demanded their attention. And and so they weren't um, fearful. They weren't frustrated. They were focused on what was going on. So um, let me just ask you, if you're begging on the street corner and someone says to you, I don't have any money, how engaged are you going to be in that conversation? (laughs) Not very much, right? Like, I don't have any money. Well, why are you wasting my time then? (laughs) Like, I've got somebody else to ask and they might have uh, money. And so uh, not engaged at, at all. But Peter does something so incredible in this moment. And the only way to explain it is to say that through Holy Spirit, heaven and humanity um, met right there outside, outside the gate. And, and so um, he says this, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I'm going to give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
Now imagine for a moment you're that blind beggar, uh, feet don't work and you're there and you're being told to get up. And, and also, look at this, Peter doesn't wait. Peter doesn't wait for him to reply. He says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he grabs him by the hand and pulls him up. That, that's some faith um, right there. And his feet, it says, were immediately made strong. And so uh, two quick points here. It's one thing to say to somebody who has a problem, like, get up and walk. It's one thing to just tell them, get up and, and walk. It's another thing to actually believe that that's going to happen enough that you're going to grab them and pull them up. Because honestly, if I were there, I don't know if I'd do that. Because <laughs> I'd be going, eh, what if it doesn't work? <laughs> and I'd pull him by the hand and he just falls on the ground. That'll be embarrassing for him and that'll be embarrassing for me. Like that's not a good uh, moment. But Peter's faith was strong enough for both of them. Which leads us to the next uh, point. Uh, and this, this gets a little, uh, I'm sorry if I step on your, your feet here, but it's not faith healing if the one doing the healing says that your faith has to be strong enough for them to heal you. Okay? It's like we've watched TV, we, we've heard the stories. If I'm going to go to a faith healer, I better believe that their faith is strong enough to make me well. Because if I had enough faith to make me well, wouldn't I have made me well already? So we get a lot of these people go around and they're going to, this is a faith healer and I'm going to heal you. But if you don't get healed, it's not my fault. It's your fault. You don't have enough faith. Bull-loney. I'll just use that word. Bull-loney. Okay? If you go to faith healer and he says or she says it's your faith that's keeping you from being healed, I would point them to Acts chapter 3 and go, you must not be Peter then. Because it was Peter's faith that healed that beggar. It wasn't his faith. Okay? Let me get off that uh, box. It was Peter's faith in the risen Jesus who told him, greater things than these you will do because I go to the Father. Because Jesus knew the Holy Spirit was coming. So I think Peter looked at this um, guy and, and he didn't ask, why is he coming out to the gate so late? He just said, this guy's here and it's kind of a weird time for him to be here, but we're going into the temple while he's arriving and it's an opportunity for God to do something unbelievable. Uh, listen, you can't plan for what God has prepared for you through Holy Spirit, but you can plan to be prepared when it happens. We don't know what God is doing and what Holy Spirit is doing and how he's working things out in our lives. We can't know all of those things, but we can determine to be prepared so that when it does happen, we can step into it. So God, if you're going to open this door, if you're going to do this thing, if there's something weird or odd about it or there's this connection, I want to be able to step into that. And, and, and so Jimna and Linda's story 
uh, at, during the, the giving talk is perfect for the, like that was an opportunity, like Holy Spirit was working through that individual's baptized just a couple weeks ago. If they would have gone just a couple weeks ago, that moment would not have happened. But Holy Spirit was working in that and bringing about um, that opportunity. Peter and John had no idea that this simple walk to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon would lead to a changed life, but they were ready for it. And when they sensed the Holy Spirit might be up to something into that moment, instead of shying away from it and just going, I don't have any money, and walking away, they said, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'll give to you. See, when we're not receptive to the Spirit's work around us, we won't be ready for the Spirit to work through us. And I think even for myself, I've got to get to this point where I recognize that God is at work in every mundane and silly and like normal everyday activity all the time. And if I can be prepared for him to move and to act so that I'm ready to step into that, I'll begin to see more and more and more of those opportunities used instead of those opportunities missed. And we'll see more and more often where heaven and humanity come into unity. We'll see that more and more in our lives. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that, that moves in and through and around us and everybody. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear when the Spirit might be up to something where you want to work through us, in us, and around us to bring heaven and humanity into unity. Help us to be aware of that so that we can see what you're doing in more and more ways and and, and help us to see that the normal functions of our everyday lives, going to work and even the commute, going to the store, those simple things can be turned into incredible moments where you get the glory and where lives are changed because you're present and working in in everybody's lives, in in those people's lives that, that we look at and we go, ah, maybe God's not there. But you are and you're working and so help us to see those moments, God. I pray for the unity among all believers that we can experience this. I pray for this awareness of the Spirit's work around us and that we would be disciples who would really strive to look more like Jesus every day and that the Spirit would work in us and work through us to bring about the kingdom. Uh, And God, just help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, look, if you look at the rest of um, the chapter, I I want you to notice uh, just a couple things uh, really quickly. Peter, in the rest of chapter 2, lays out the gospel, the elements of the gospel proper, those four things. There's a kingdom that Jesus is the king, that he's the uh, crucified king, and he's the resurrected king. He, he mentions those things. And then our response uh, to those gospel elements to repent and to follow. And so that once again, the gospel is mentioned. Once again, the Holy Spirit isn't done until the gospel is declared. 
And I want you to catch one other thing that I think proves my point, that Holy Spirit is at work in the mundane. Um, Holy Spirit is, is mentioned in chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit comes, and it's this big event, and all of these things happen. But in chapter 3, Holy Spirit is not mentioned at all. We don't see him at all. The Holy Spirit is pointing to Jesus and is working in the mundane things of our lives. And so I started this morning asking you who God loves more. And this is the reason for those questions. I think Peter understood God's overwhelming love for this lame man. I think Peter understood that God loved this man. And he understood that God doesn't love any one person more than anyone else. But he does want those who haven't experienced his love to know it more than those of us who already do. It's the 99 and the 1. And so if you know his love, make it known by following the leading of Holy Spirit in your day-to-day life. Now, next week, we're going to wrap up this series on followers. Holy Spirit came and everything changed, not just for the followers, but for the whole world. And the world didn't like it. And so next Sunday, we're going to wrap up the series looking at Acts chapter 4, because it's a pivotal chapter in the story of the church where persecution breaks out against uh, the Christians, the followers, But the gospel message also breaks out, and so um, we're going to see how that works together. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions, or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.